Folks, how we live in? Welcome to the Cripes Cast. I'm your host, Charlie Barons. We are brought to you by Jolly Good Soda, and this is today's episode. Hey, folks, how we doing? Welcome to another episode of the Cripes Cast. Today's Cripes Cast episode I'm super excited about because it's another in the series of Charlie is a hippie and he <laughs> loves our planet and wants to save it from its uh, pending doom. Nice. Uh, yeah, that was well titled. Um, no, I am. I've always been an environmentalist. Those who listen to this podcast know that. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, birds. I'm a big fan of just the natural world. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, that's obviously a theme here. I like talking to people about the environment and mostly about productive things that we can do. If you read the news, it's a lot of doom and gloom about the environment. But I, I kind of think that there's some hope there mm-hmm. and that if we all kind of do a little bit and... Uh, you know, um, pressure our politicians more than the people uh, bribing them, uh, then maybe we can see some change, potentially. Um, today, uh, we're talking to Tracy Hames, yep. and he is the executive director of the Wisconsin Wetlands Association, um, and uh, just a great dude, and we're talking about wetlands. Now, before you start snoozing, going to bed... Uh, you know, uh, cause I know wetlands, when you say that to some people, they're like, ah, boring, but wetlands are super important for just the way everything in our system works. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything from water quality to, uh, you know, just to a healthy, um, bio- biodiversity. There's a lot of, you know, species that depend on it that you wouldn't even think about. Like right. if you like deer hunting, bird hunting, uh, fishing, whatever, uh, water that is uh, drinkable, you know, there's something in here for everyone. So yeah, I think when people drive by a wetland or they don't necessarily know what it is, they think like, oh, let's, they look at it and it's not necessarily, you brought this up in the episode. It's not necessarily the most like, oh, it's a lake. And like, I get to look at this beautiful body of water, but it's just as important. Yeah. It's a big old pile of mud and muck and whatnot. Yeah. And, you know, kind of some trees that may not look like they're doing so great but they are it's just kind of what they look like in the wetlands sometimes um and some are quite beautiful and you know beauty's in the eye of the beholder so oh geez louise charlie so good of you that's so sweet so anyways we'll get to that in a moment i love talking about this stuff and um you know i hope i can interest some of you in it so that'll be coming up in a moment but uh before we get to that i'm joined by Colleen Maraca, Coco Maraca, ladies and gentlemen, as her friends call her. She <laughs> <Not> is. <you. laughs> she is the executive producer of the Cripes Cast, wearing some interesting shoes today. I'm just gonna say that. Though, what what, the, what are those? They they're got, called Ilsa Jacobsons. Ilsa Jacobsons. Sponsor me. They got holes in them. Yeah, they're nice for. Um, those are nice for like uh, pond socks. Okay. What I would call them. Well, they're not cheap. They're well, very light. Do you they, want to hold it? They look cheap. Do they really? Yeah. I mean, they look like oh, they are. very affordable. I don't know why I'm holding your shoe. Imagine where this has been. They are somewhat like now as light as my croc. Um. My souped up croc. <laughs> Crocs, Crocs sent, uh, sent over some shoes and some of these, uh, these new Crocs. Oh, shoot. I just broke my mic. These new Crocs. It's going to be interesting. I'm going to fix That's the my... part where you have to tighten it there. Tighten it where? There. I know. I know. I know. So what I'm doing. the reason Charlie's wearing Crocs is because he cut himself, and so 
for the last like week. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you telling the audience my medical history? I feel oh, like that's a breach of HIPAA or something or other. Well, you're not a doctor. I feel like it's a breach of employment. Okay. You know. Yeah, my kidding. NDA doesn't allow me to disclose it. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Maybe um, I should do an NDA. I feel like at some... We're past that point. Oh, we are? Everything that needs to be known about you is... It's in the vault. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's in my tell-all. NDAs can't be... Uh, I don't know. Retroactive? I don't know how they work. Anyways, oh, my do- my doctor just texted me back. What um, I said, I can't feel my toe. Is that normal? He said, yeah, the nerve is healing. You got the plantar digital nerve going right by your wound. You still can move your big toe. Can you feel that? Okay. Oh, yeah, I can. Oh, yeah, I can move her okay. I can move her real good. Uh, I still can't feel like I got my ACL. Yeah. Right here, I can't feel that. Oh, really? Still. Yeah, I was talking to my dad. I called my dad today. Um, So to bring the audience up to date, (laughs) yes, I did... Cut my foot. And I got these Crocs here. Okay, yeah. I got these Crocs. I'm wearing these suckers because they're very wide. And my foot is a little bit swollen, mm-hmm. folks. Uh, I got a boo-boo. A big boo-boo, we'll yeah. call it. I cut the ball of my foot. Mm. But if you have to cut one of your balls, ball your Don't foots. try, like, your stand-up stuff here. <laughs> like, like, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see if I could get any laugh out of you with it. You know what? You it worked told on me stage. It. You already it told me it, and I laughed when you said it initially. The thing about me uh, is I'm going to be honest about it. Well, so, yeah, I know. That's why I tried it in front of you. <laughs> and now my audience sees the internal process of my stand-up, and they're unimpressed. Um, no, these are like <sighs> super, super industrial cloud shoes. Yeah, they're, they're bizarre. I could see a hipster wearing these and calling it, like, fast fashion. I wore them to the family reunion, and everybody made fun of me. Everybody. Understandably so. Yep. But I like them, honestly. I like them. And I don't think they're fast fashion. I'll tell you this about Crocs. I got one of the first pairs of Crocs in Wisconsin. I did. Because I was working as a bike mechanic uh, over at the bike shop when Crocs first came out, mm. don't look so unimpressed at me. This is I'm a listening. fascinating thing. And Crocs first came I out. I have resting indifference face. Keep going. <laughs> and, Crocs uh, first came out. Crocs first came out. And uh, yeah, I got, I got a pair. How old were you at the time? I was 16. Yeah, I remember getting my first pair of Crocs when I was six. So probably at the same time. <sighs> God, I really need another co-host for this <laughs> thing. So, Did you ever have gibbets? I mean, I didn't... I No, I've never been a gibbet guy. That's never. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying I would never be. I just, you know, need to... They were the perfect shoes for lifeguarding. I had, I had Crocs for... Li- I had my lifeguarding Crocs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because then if you see something happen, you just kick them off and run yeah and they're floaters so you don't, even, are, you don't even so have nice. to kick them off they're like big bobbers too well like if i have to run somewhere fast it'll probably slow me down if i try to like i don't have adventure mode on uh-huh you know yep you can just kick them off if you don't have adventure if you're not four four yeah. wheel driving them so anyways anyway. <laughs> i cut the ball of my foot i was playing mermaids with my buddies that's the sh- long and short of it 
if you want to know the rest. You can see me live on the road, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah. I am coming to your town. Yeah, where, how was your your shows uh, this Oh, weekend? yeah, did, did a couple shows in New Richmond. The new tour is feeling good. The new material's um, feeling right. Um, How's I've the got, ball joke going? Ball joke's going very good. <laughs> it's getting a lot of laughs. When I come and see it in person, if I ever come to this next leg of the tour. Could you laugh? Just I to, will laugh so you. hard you'll hear me, like, guffaw. Okay, well, don't throw me off my game by your fake <laughs> laughter. Now everybody who I told this to will fake laugh on it. Yeah. It's okay. But no, you're feeling good about it? I'm already over it. Yeah, I'm feeling good about the tour. Um, Feeling good about my foot. Feeling good about everything. A lot of new tour dates up. Uh, You can check them out on... Uh, Cripescast.com. Mantalkminute.com. Let, let's give them like Charlie one Bands. website. Are they? Is it all on Cripescast? Yeah, everything's yeah, on Cripescast. Cripescast.com. You can go check out the tour dates. And then, folks, we also got a bunch of merch up there if you check on the merch section. So there, there's the plugs. Mm-hmm. We got the plugs going. Yep. All right, folks, that is it. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Tracy Hames. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Charlie, and thanks uh, for uh, sending uh, the donations our way from the Steve Stricker uh, American Family Fund. So oh, yeah. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Um, so yeah. last year we got the donation and we didn't know where it came from. We just got a check in the mail. And this year they actually sent us an email and kind of explained how, uh, how it was set up. So That's uh, funny. You thought you just got um, a donation from the from AmFam? Yeah, we had no idea where it came from. It just literally was a check in the mail. So, got uh, it. Got it. So. That sounds uh it sounds about right. Yeah, how um it it doesn't matter if you knew it, it's just good that you got that money, you know, but um I I've been a big fan of, you know, kind of what you guys have been doing for a while and just to give people a backstory, um I was doing the an event with Steve Stricker for the American Family Insurance tour or whatever and um it was a golf outing and part of the deal is that you can pick an organization that you like and that you want to donate to so yeah i saw um what you guys were doing and i uh i really appreciated it so how how you know i kind of want to give people just a general invite as many people as possible into this conversation to start with so I kind of want to start very basic and, um, you know, and honestly, I want to make sure I know all the facts too, you know, and I've got the, I'm telling the clearest story because I look into this stuff out of my own interest, but who knows what I miss or what information I've, you know, uh, thought was accurate and isn't. Why don't we start very basically? What is a wetland? Good idea. Yeah, we'll start very basic and uh, you're not alone. So let's start by Telling me a, a little bit from your in your brain before you did your research, what did wetland mean to you, or do you have a, a story? Uh, what's your perception at the beginning? Well, oh, okay, so here's kind of where I'm I'm coming from on this. I know from my time in school or whatever that wetlands are important because they act as um, a carbon sink. One, um, two. If you have a house or a property, uh, wetlands are important because that will help prevent them from flooding. And um, because that water's got to go somewhere, if we concrete over everything, well, you have a lot of floods. Actually, my uh, one of the houses I grew up in um, flooded uh, because they made the river concrete 
essentially, you know, and then they, they did it to, cause that was the look or something in the sixties or whenever they did it. And since that flood, they ripped it up and now made it a wetland and they had the river instead of going in a straight line winding. So, and a lot of the, when it comes to wetlands, I tend to, I feel like people who want to do right by the environment are going to want to protect the wetlands anyway. And, but I try to focus my thoughts and this conversation uh, in a lot of ways on those that care about the economics of it. Cause we live in a country that for whatever reason is driven by what the stock market's going to do tomorrow, not even a year from now. And that's screwed us in so many ways. But I think if we make it even very clear of how this affects your bottom line, that would bring people kind of on board. And also beyond that, uh, it just, to answer your question directly, what's a story I have of the wetlands? I, I love um, hunting and uh, duck hunting and all of that sort of stuff. And that takes place in the wetlands. And I'm also a big bird watcher. You know, the ones I don't shoot, I like to look at, you know, and uh, also wetlands are very important for those. So that's kind of a very roundabout way of answering your question. Well, that's pretty typical for, yeah, for us folks in Wisconsin, you know, where they were introduced from to wetlands oftentimes was either in hunting or bird watching or, or things like that. So great. Um, we'll tell the story today um, about uh, why people should care about wetlands and the economics and all that stuff as well. So um, um, hopefully it'll be something that's interesting to folks and it'll make a lot of sense. So if you want, we'll start right in is what is a wetland, right? A lot of people don't understand what wetlands are. They just see these things as they're driving down the road or or they interact with them, you know, out in the field or here, or here or there. A lot of people's perception of what a wetland is in their mind's eye, and, and you're a little more uh, beyond that, which was nice to hear, but people think about an open water area with a bunch of cattails around the edge of it and a bunch of ducks or herons or things out in the water. And that's a type of wetland, but it's not... Uh, every type of wetland we have in Wisconsin. And when you ask a wetland scientist, first thing they'll do is go into this long convoluted definition of what a wetland is, talking about the soils, talking about the water, talking about the vegetation, and all this stuff all interacts and et cetera, et cetera. For the purposes of this conversation, it's important just to remember that wetlands are those areas in between the places that are always dry and the places that are always wet, okay? So it's the in-between zone. And because of that, you have a great diversity of wetland types, depending on how close they are to the always dry side or the always wet side, right? Some wetlands are, are pretty much always wet. Other ones are just wet very uh, certain times of the year. And it's the water and those types of conditions that really help create the characteristics and the benefits that a wetland um, expresses. So we always say it's all about the water. Understanding what's going on with the water is the most important thing about, about a wetland. So if it's always wet, it's a lake, right? Or a river. Yep. If it's always sure. dry, it's upland field or an upland forest oh. or something like that. So in Wisconsin, we're, we have an incredible diversity of landforms throughout the state. As you know, you get around the state a lot. Every part of Wisconsin is different than the next part. 
That's one of the great things about where we live. Door County is different than the Northern Lakes area, different than the Driftless, different than the you know, Central Sands, et cetera. And the wetlands are expressed that way. They're different in, in, in all different places. Um, and they're connected to our other waters. And we'll talk more about that uh, in a minute. But the way they're formed is all about what's happening with the foundational geology, what's going on with the soils, all the things that's creating literally the movement of water through our uh, uh, through our landscape. And so always be thinking about water, what's going on with the water when you're thinking about wetlands. And, <clears throat> you know, what has been... Um, well, I, I, I think I think here's the thing with wetlands that I think has kind of allowed them to be um, sort of, you know, we've lost so many of them, I think, because they're not always the prettiest part of the deal. You know, I disagree. Like, well, no, I, <laughs> I know <laughs> I, I, to your average to your average guy or gal or whatever, you know, just driving through. They see some wetlands and they're like, what can I do? And maybe that's it. It's it's not just um, the aesthetic. I, I personally like them, too. But some folks uh, see it as like, you know, a, a marshy land or, or a bunch of trees that look like they're half dead, even though they're not. Um uh, they see kind of rough uh, landscape and there's not much you can do there to a degree. You know, you you could possibly kayak some or this, that and the other thing. But it's you're not getting out there on your boat. It's a tough uh, area to fish if that's even possible, you know, uh, through a stream or something. And, um, you know, you can see where the temptation comes in to say, well, let's just, you know, what if we fill this in and put up a subdivision here? Who's going to care? Who's going to fight about that? Probably not a lot of people because it's not intuitive. Like if you have this beautiful lake or this majestic river or something like that. Right. So that's the perception, the historical perception, right, with wetlands, not just recently, but going back hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, wetlands are the places where there's mosquitoes, there's malaria, there's, you know, deep muck, uh, there's all these things. And it's really hard to occupy those areas. So human use is difficult. And I will say wetlands are much more than just producing mosquitoes. They also produce deer flies and ticks. Uh, so if people are wondering about that. But <laughs> yeah, re you're really doing a great job on the PR side of that. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to why they're important in a minute here. So yeah. let's talk first about the different types of wetlands in Wisconsin, right? So sure. you got the marsh that, you know, we talked about with the cattails and and things like that. You also have historically, we had lots of sedge meadows uh, in Wisconsin. And those are the places that look like almost like grass fields, but they can be really wet and they have, you know, tussock type vegetation and incredibly important and diverse for, uh, for wildlife, even fish species. Uh, we also have swamps. And I wanna say a lot of people, when they think of wetlands, they just use the term swamp, right? Oh, there's a swamp over there. Swamps are actually wetlands that have woody growth in them, trees or woody shrubs or things like that. So a true swamp ha actually has to have wood in it. Uh, so we have ash swamps here that are actually being threatened by uh, the emerald ash borer beetle and things like that. But, uh, and we also have bogs, and, you know, we know about bogs and uh, they have the sphagnum moss, they have the pitcher plants and things like that. Uh, and we have other 
very rare wetlands that used to be more common called fens. And those are wetlands that are produced by uh, spring water coming up out of the ground and on and on and on. There's, there's many, many different wetland types. So, you know, I always encourage people to get out, get in the mud, and you'll start to see these things from a different view than just driving down at 60 miles an hour looking at, at the wetlands. And they are boring sometimes, you know, to the non-informed person. Uh, you go up into lake country, for instance, right? And as you're driving down the road, and we all do this, we're looking at the lakes. Oh, there's a nice lake out there. Maybe I want to go fishing in that place. And you're driving by wetlands and it's just kind of passed through. When I give talks up in lake country, um, I'll ask them, what's your perception, you know, of, of wetlands in this county? I'll say, oh, you know, we've got 10,000 acres of wetlands in such and such county. How many acres of or of lakes, how many acres of wetlands do you think we have? 10% of that, 20% of that. Most people think, yeah, probably something like that. In those areas in the northern part of the state where we have healthy lakes, we have four to five times the acreage of wetlands versus the acreage of lakes. And the reason those, one of the important reasons that those lakes are clean and healthy is because those wetlands are there doing their job, cleaning up the water, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, um, actually, actually real quick, I just want to, um, uh, we haven't mentioned that aspect of this, but the wetlands and correct me if I'm wrong, but they essentially act as a filter, um, for all the, um, for all the lakes. Is that correct? Right. We're going to talk about all the good things that wetlands do here in, in a minute. Right. Got it. So, got uh, it. Sorry and, to uh, cut you off. I'll let you keep rocking and rolling. On that, but, uh, but you're right. Perception can be bad, but the more people interact, you know, that's the message we always give. Get out there and explore these places that maybe you've you've uh, ignored in the past and you'll be really surprised at the diversity and, and the beauty and uh, and what's out there. But, you know, you also need to wear boots and, you know, get out in the mud. You know, we always say get out and get your feet wet. And uh, that's the best way to explore these places. But be careful where you go sometimes, right? Sometimes it can get a little deep. And I've been in situations in the past where I wasn't sure I was getting out of the out of the mud that I got myself into. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in my with, previous with position. Both boots intact. Yeah, I worked for a couple a uh, couple of decades out west uh, on a on a on a reservation, and there was a place where I was working and one of the tribal elders told me, be careful out in that area. I lost a horse one time to quicksand. And, uh, well, okay. So I was out hunting uh, up in that area. And this was before cell phones and everything was in the nineties. And I parked about a mile away. I was walking through this area and I was crossing this slough and I got, I had shift waders on. I got into a situation where it was so deep. I was almost over my waders. Oh, wow. And never hit bottom, right? And uh, you're in a situation like that. And how do you get out? So I was kind of grasping at some of the bulrushes and things, trying to figure out how to give myself leverage. It took me about a half hour to get out of there. It's the only <laughs> time I ever really worried about it. But, yeah. but of course, I was hunting at the time. And when you're in those situations, any good duck hunter knows that your head will go under. You'll be dead before your gun gets wet. So I did get out of there without getting my gun wet. And so <laughs> it's important. Just <laughs> sitting there going. like this. Yeah. And it wasn't really quicksand. It's not true quicksand. And, you know, we don't have that uh, in Wisconsin either. And, you know, and, and we always say the word or people use the term quicksand, but they just mean deep muck. And, yeah. you know, where do we know everything we know about quicksand? Where did we learn it? Two sources. 
Gilligan's Island and old Tarzan movies, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so yeah. anyways, but, but we can have very, very deep muck soils here. And, uh, and when we, when we talk about, uh, climate change and, and carbon sequestration, we'll talk more about the muck soils. Okay. But anyways, yeah. Um, get out there, get in the mud, but also be aware of where you're going and, uh, and be careful, but you'll be amazed at the beauty and the diversity you see. So let's um, kind of transition into what um, like the nuts and bolts of why wetlands are important. And then from there, I think it'd be good to talk about the economic implications if we, you know, continue on a path of eliminating wetlands. So wetlands are the great managers of our water. And what I mean by that is when you think about how our landscape handles precipitation, snowmelt, groundwater movement, et cetera, wetlands are the features on our landscape that really kind of dictate how water is moved and, and what happens uh, across the land. And so let's look at it this way. Think about what we call a watershed. Um, and that's a big term sometimes a lot of people that aren't in the resource business uh, use very often. But a watershed is an area where every drop of rain or all the snow that lands in, in, one, in the watershed drains to a common either lake or river or something like that. So think of a basin and all the water goes to the same location, right? And you'll have watersheds next to each other and, and, and et cetera. What's happened in the past is... We've removed a lot of the wetlands, especially in the tops of our watersheds. And the wetlands in the tops of our watersheds, the high portions where the, where the rain and the snowmelt falls originally, historically we had basins all through there. And a lot of times they were very small, but they would fill up with rain in the spring. They would certainly fill up with snowmelt and they'd hold on to that water and do a couple things, either soak it into the ground slowly or slowly release it out into the creeks and into the rivers and into the waterways downstream. And that slow release is really important, mainly because think of a bucket of water. You know, if you took a bucket of water and you slowly trickled out the water, you know, it just goes really softly. You pour it all out at once, you spend all your water, all you know, in, in a few seconds. Watersheds are the same way. When we remove our wetlands in the top portions of our watershed, that rain instead of being held up there, goes whooshing downstream, creating erosion, creating gullies, and grabbing all that dirt and you know carbon and everything else down into our lakes or into our waterways. By slowing, by capturing that water, holding on to it, it cleans the water, allows the sediment to drop out, and it allows what we call the erosive energy, you know, the ability of that water to pick up dirt and, and cause erosion uh, it reduces that very much. So having those waters holding that on is, is critically important. The other thing that's really important is when it soaks into the ground, especially snowmelt, a lot of our trout waters are in Wisconsin are very dependent upon wetlands on the landscape as well. And people don't think about that oftentimes. And it's for that same reason. When we capture that snowmelt, that cold water, and allow it to soak into the ground above our trout stream, that water then is slowly working towards downstream through the soil towards our trout stream. 
And trout need cold water, as we all know, right? In Wisconsin, you don't have trout unless you have significant groundwater resources feeding those trout streams. Because honestly, you know, we have 70 degree dew points in Wisconsin. That's tropical in the summer. Wisconsin's a tropical area with a very good disguise nine months of the year, but trout can't live in that hot, hot weather if they don't have cold water feeding out of the ground. Well, wetlands grab that water, cold water, and the ground acts like a refrigerator. It keeps it cold. And that water that was soaked in by the wetland actually is getting to the trout stream by July and August right now and providing that cool water uh, for the trout. So all these different things in terms of water management is really important. Wetlands also are really good at um, processing uh, nutrients and helping reduce not only the flush of water coming down our waterways, but the flush of nutrients as well. So if we've got weeds in our lake, if we've got you know algae or things like that growing, oftentimes we're looking at the lake, we're looking at that place and say, we need to fix that. Well, let's look upstream and see what's happened upstream. Has there been wetland loss or things that are contributing to uh, the conditions that create those, those nuisance problems? So those are really important parts of it in terms of water management. So reducing flood peaks, capturing water, getting water back into our soil, and providing course to fish wildlife benefits that we all know. Uh, Northerns have to spawn in wetlands, right? They come up out of Green Bay classically, even walleyes. Uh, there are some areas where walleyes spawn in wetlands in the Fox River Basin. So incredibly important, the diversity, 75% of our wildlife you know, use wetlands and, and things like that. So when you're thinking about the, the needs you have in your region or in your area, what we like to present then is how wetlands can be important to the, the issues, especially the water issues you're dealing with wherever you are uh, in the state or in the region here. So, um, so we'll talk about that in a second, but uh, those are some of the big benefits uh, of wetlands and really present a high quality of life here. Um, <clears throat> we didn't even talk about carbon storage. We can talk about that now if you want, or we can move on. Well, I think, you know, the impacts of Climate change are, you know, we are currently in the hottest summer we've ever had. You know, uh, we've had the hottest day on Earth ever not too long ago. You know, I think the reality of climate change is starting to um, hit a lot of people now, even if they were, you know, hesitant to believe climate change was real beforehand. I think there's really no question of that now. Um, I think some people are now saying, well, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. So why don't we just keep business as usual? Right. <clears throat> um, so, yeah. So with that said, what um, benefit do wetlands provide uh, from a carbon sequestration standpoint? So in Wisconsin, we're we're situated really well. One of the best states in the nation in terms of certain types of wetlands that are really good at what they call sequestering carbon. In other words, pulling carbon out of the air and, and putting into the soils. And these are what we call the histosols. It's a technical name for a soil type. It also means the wetland muck, that big deep stuff that I got stuck up to my, yeah. my chest in. Those are big, deep boot sucking muck. And those are the soils that are really good at, uh, at pulling carbon out of the air. And the way it works is that of course they grow up um, all the vegetation that grows in the wetlands 
is is very robust and it's pulling carbon. Obviously, the plants are, are pulling carbon out of the air and building their, their structure. And at the end of the season, they die off and they'll fall down. And because they're in a wetland, the wetland conditions that are wet, because it's it's uh, there's a lot of water in there, the plants don't decay like they would in an upland situation. There's no oxygen. So you get this buildup of dead organic matter, and that's what peat is, right? When you think about what peat is, that's a type of soil that is is almost all um, you know carbon-based uh, materials uh, built up over hundreds and thousands of years. So here you have this you know mechanism where the carbon in the plants fall down, they don't decay, they get uh, saved in the wetland, <clears throat> no oxygen. The next year goes again, goes again, goes again. So you're pulling carbon in over and over and over. We've lost a lot of our muck soil wetlands in Wisconsin, especially in the southern half of the state. Um, back, you know, way back in the day, we we really liked those areas because they were very conducive, especially for vegetable farming. And so we drained a lot of these areas. They call them muck farms, even to this day. And they go out and, and uh, farm the muck soils. And when you do that and build the drainage infrastructure to be able to farm a big, deep, wet, you know, mucky wetland, um, it takes a lot of drainage to do that. And when those soils are exposed to the air, right, we removed the oxygen. So now we have normal soil uh, decay processes going on. That starts the process of all those hundreds or thousands of years of organic material in those soils to start being released because they're exposed to oxygen. So there are muck farms now where there, a lot of them are going back into wetland, but you'll go out with these with the farmers out there and they'll tell you, you know, when we started farming this thing back in the 1940s, our soil, our crop field has subsided, has dropped six feet in elevation over the decades. And that's because there was that loss of the organic component of those soils being lost because of air. So not only are we not pulling carbon back in from the air, we're sending it the other direction. Thousands of years of carbon storage then when we drain these wetlands goes back up into the air, contributing to more of this kind of stuff. The other aspect of wetlands and climate change and we don't even really have to use the term climate change very often. You know, like you say, some people, uh, that's a sensitive word. The way it's being expressed in Wisconsin right now, one of the ways that we're seeing big changes happening just in the last you know, uh, 10, 15 years is through the development of really large localized storm events, especially in the summer. And what happens is you'll get a storm moving in about eight o'clock at night, and it'll park in one location, and it can drop, you know, a foot a foot of rain overnight onto one location into one watershed. And with the wetland loss we've had, with all the changes we've had on our landscape, we're blowing out roads, we're blowing out culverts. You know, like you say, we're flooding houses. We're doing all these things that uh, water's going in places where we don't necessarily want it. And the energy of that water is causing a lot, of, a lot of problems. Up in the Ashland area in 2016, they had one of those events. And it was literally $35 million in damage to public infrastructure just in one overnight rain event. Oh, my goodness. And they said, oh, that'll never happen again. Three years later, it happened again, same spot. 
and we're getting these rain events all around Wisconsin. You never know, so almost like a tornado, where's it going to hit this year? And no part of the state has been spared these crazy, big, localized storm events. So it's getting the attention of a lot of people. And wetlands are a big part of the solution to dealing with those impacts brought on by those storms. And, and it goes back to wetlands managing the water. We've talked about the upper watershed wetlands, right? Capturing that rain as it comes down. But we also need to bring the wetlands back that are along our waterways, our creeks and our rivers. These are what we call floodplains, right? Mm -hmm. Normally in a natural situation, you'll have a creek and like you were talking about earlier, it's real windy. And, and when the spring comes and the waters come, the water spreads out of the channel and goes out across the land in what we call a floodplain. And there's vegetation and wetlands all through the floodplain. And the vegetation kind of really acts like friction. It captures that water, blows it down, reduces the energy, allows the sediment to drop out, et cetera. We've lost so much of our upper watershed wetlands due to development because of the easy ones to drain, right? Because they're up on that closer to the, to the dry side. But we've also lost a huge amount of our floodplains. And what happened, you know, way back when during development years, we'd go into our creek area and, and it was messy and it was windy and there was a lot of land that we couldn't really use productively, you know, at the time. So what did we do? We straightened the creek out, move it over to the side of the valley and, uh, and then move in and either, you know, crop it or develop it for one reason or another. And that's the floodplain. So we're turning an area that used to spread water out very slowly and capture it, allow it to soak into the ground and reduce the energy, reduce the erosive force, moving it over to the side into a straight line ditch that pretty much acts just like a fire hose. So when we get water, we lose our water, our wetlands up above, all that water comes down the hill, it's into those ditches, it, it's off for the races. And if there's culverts, if there's roads, if there's infrastructure that we want to protect, that's right in the firing line. And so that's why we're having so much damage right now. Then you put climate-induced storms on top of it all. Oh, my goodness, right? $35 million in damage from an overnight rain. So a big part of the work we're doing right now is helping people understand that story and understand that we've got to start putting wetlands back in the right locations to address these very real issues that our communities are experiencing right now. Hey folks, how we doing? If you're a long uh, time listener, you know there's no other soda that I pair with my brandy old fashions other than the jolly good sour power. Now that's somewhat of a lie. I've done other sodas from time to time if the jolly good's not there, but oh my gosh, let me tell you this. It's a heck of a lot better when it's there. So if you are a first-time listener, let me tell you how to make your old-fashioned Wisconsin style. Get that jolly good sour power if you're going sour. Oh, my gosh. So good. Jollygoodsoda.com for all your flavor needs. Check them out. And, folks, let me tell you, are you getting ready to start a summer DIY project? Fleet Farm's your one-stop shop for everything you need, whether you're a rookie handyman or a seasoned veteran. They've got something for every job that every DIYer can use. Shop their selection of top brands like Milwaukee and DeWalt for all your power tools, outdoor power equipment, and more. Plus, you'll look the part, two after shopping their selection of workwear from trusted brands like Carhartt and Dickies. Check them out. 
Fleet Farm, Fleet Farm, we love it. And folks, the best way to support the podcast, head on over to cripescast.com. Click on that merch section. We've got Team Soda versus Team Pop shirts. We got the book bundle going on where you can get my book, Midwest Survival Guide, plus a Tell Your Folks I Says Hi Koozie, plus a bottle opener for just 31 bucks. It's a steal. Jeez Louise. Um, and finally, International Beer Day is this Friday, August 4th. Go to cripescast.com and click on the merch section. You can get discounts on our... Uh, Roll out the barrel t-shirt and our keeper moving pint glasses in honor of beer. God bless, folks. Keeper moving. We'll talk to you soon. And what would you say is standing in the way from, uh, you know, restoring the wetlands and preventing current wetlands from being developed? What industries... Um, what, what folks have the most interest in seeing the wetlands go away? Yeah, I'm actually really optimistic right now. Some really good stuff is happening in Wisconsin. So we'll talk about that. And the perspective is historically we had 10 million acres of wetlands in Wisconsin, right? That's a wet foot every three or four steps. That's a lot of wetlands. We were a soaking wet state. We've lost half of the wetlands that we, than what we had historically. And most of that loss is probably from Highway 10 South, certainly Highway 29 South. We're in decent shape um, in most areas in, in the lake country in the northern part of the state. That's why we have such high quality lakes, rivers, and fishing. So you can't remove that amount of wetlands without serious implications. So our message to people is how can wetlands be a solution to the issues that you're facing in your community? And that means locally, what are the problems you're running into right now? And so my, you know, our, our program's approach, our organization's approach is not to get people to like ducks and frogs and pretty flowers if they don't already like those things. Our approach is to get them to understand why wetlands are important to the things they already care about, right? So if you're the town of Ashland, 75% of your yearly budget for the whole town goes to road repair on a normal year. You put out culvert loss and some of these things from these rain events, and that's a big, big issue. So we work with the town of Ashland and say, how can wetlands be a solution to your budget woes, right? And, and that means putting wetlands back in a cost-effective way to, so you're not paying to fix your roads as much as you used to. And it's really taking off when you take that perspective is then people aren't, um, you know, just thinking about wetlands as these wasted spaces that we see as we're driving down the road, but they can put it together and understand why they're important to what they're doing right now. So whether you're a farmer, whether you're a developer, whether you're working to expand industry in an area, you don't want problems with runoff and rain events. Right. I live in Middleton. A few years ago, we had one of those big rain events in Middleton, right? Yeah. And the industrial park in Middleton had a foot and a half of water in it. The Costco was was flooded a foot and a half. Not and the Costco. Look, believe it or not. Yes, I know. Wow. So, but anyways, the point is, when you look at where the water was on that big rain event, and then you look at the map of where the wetland soils are, because wetland soils, after a wetland's been drained, the soils still have the characteristics where you can see that that used to be a wetland. 
it for, for decades and decades afterwards. So we know that's why we know where wetlands used to be, right? And that area that got flooded lined up perfectly with where the wetlands used to be in that area. And no surprise, right? And so we had all kinds of damage and economic problems. We blew out the railroad, you know, a bunch of things uh, because of this big overnight rain event. So how then can we think about wetlands on the landscape and be strategic about how we can not only protect what we've got left, the half that we have left, but how can we think about putting the right amounts of the right wetlands in the right locations to solve the problems we're having? And that takes planning, that takes, you know, takes uh, an understanding of the problems that we have in every Every community, every watershed, you know, is, is dealing with different issues. And wetlands can be a part of those solutions. But we can't be random about it, right? And in the past, a lot of the wetland programs that we have, not just in Wisconsin, but throughout the nation, were kind of random. Hey, we've got money to fix wetlands. Who wants to sign up? You know, and somebody that wants duck hunting or this or that would sign up. And it didn't necessarily put the right amounts of the wetlands where they're most effective. So we're working now, developing, and, and you talk about the barriers to get this stuff done. There's about 20 things that have to get done to get this work happening across the landscape right now. And we're, and we're testing it out in different communities right now in really exciting ways. Uh, some of them are, are literally just knowledge, you know, where, how can we gain the knowledge we need to do this type of work and identify the places where Wetlands can be can be best uh, solutions. Uh, how do we get the word out to get people to understand the importance of wetlands? Right, the education and, and engagement component. How then do we build the statewide programs and funding sources to get this stuff going at the scale we need to? And we don't need you know hundreds or thousands of wetlands put back on the landscape. We need hundreds of thousands back on the landscape to solve the water issues that we're having right now. Our impaired waterways are increasing in the state. And once again, if you take a map of the impaired waterways in Wisconsin, put it over where the wetland loss was, guess what? They also line up perfectly. Um, so wetlands aren't the only thing we need to do, but we can't fix these things without serious amounts of wetlands. And the last thing is how do you permit all this stuff, right? The, the, the uh, red tape can be sometimes overwhelming uh, in, in our means to protect wetlands, we have a whole level of bureaucracy to make it hard to, to deal with wetlands. That also sometimes impedes the ability for us to bring wetlands back. So we're working on all these different um, levels to get things together to allow this type of work for us to be strategic and start putting wetlands back on the landscape. And it'll never happen until the communities want it to happen, right? right? People are fighting it or don't understand it. All the money and all the programs are worthless. So outreach, education, policy work, all these levels is what needs to be uh, addressed uh, when you're doing this type of work. And it's really exciting stuff because people of all persuasions, all political persuasions, you know, et cetera, are getting it when you present wetlands in that way. And so that's why I'm so excited because good things are happening right now um, in terms of people finally getting 
getting to look at wetlands a little differently than they had in the past. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really, you know, you might think of it being a, a a left thing to protect the wetlands, kind of like an environmental hippie type thing. That would be like the uh, the perception, historically speaking, perhaps. But uh, truly, if you break that out, especially in Wisconsin, you've got hunters who are both sides of the aisle. You've got farmers who absolutely need wetlands uh, to prevent their own um, erosion and to make their um their crops strong and consistent and have uh that water and also that filtration you know um yeah yeah it's really it is a benefit to everybody um what what would you say is maybe the biggest um hurdle standing in the way aside for the um is it like the political you kind of mentioned a few things there but would it be like uh, the political side of it, is it tough to get politicians to care about it or are they kind of on board or, um, is it tough to get people to care about it? You kind of mentioned the biggest thing is getting people to care because people that will then push the politicians. Would, would that be accurate? Yeah. And, and I've found that some politicians are people also, it's crazy, but yeah. So, no, um, come on. That's not yeah, true. I, do not, I, do not label I've them like it. that. That, that puts a, a human note on them. Uh, <laughs> no, I know they are, they are people, but you know what I mean? Like the yeah, constituents no, push them. And so a couple of things, you know, when you go out into our agricultural communities, you know, in our rural areas and, uh, and get out there with farmers and cattle people. And I've worked with, with those people my whole career. A lot of these folks on farms are what, you know, multi-generational families working the same land, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, they care about the land. They care about the water. You know, they care about it deeply and they know about what's going on in this situation so well. So work upon that, right? And so as, you know, they're looking not only to make money, they're, you know, they're not these evil people out here saying, how can I exploit the landscape to to my advantage in every way I can. They're good oh God, family no. people trying to work this stuff out. Yeah. And so when you can present wetlands to them and say, okay, how can how can we think about wetlands in terms of water management on your land? Then they're very perceptive of that, especially if it's cost effective. I was, Friday, I was out visiting some farms up in Marathon County and very exciting, you know, and, and and they looked at wetlands in a different way than they had before, because in the past, wetlands were only presented to them as, hey, this is a good thing for duck habitat. And so let's dig a little scrape on the ground and, you know, and try and get some ducks in there. When they can see, you know, when you go out with these farmers and walk their land with them and they can tell you about what's going on on their property. And then the issues they are having in terms of runoff or this or that, whatever the issues is, and then help them understand a little more where wetlands may be a piece of their operation. Then they're like, ah, that's great. I can do that. That's not so scary. In fact, that's to my advantage. Now translate that to the Capitol and our office is two blocks off of the square, right? So we're, we're up there all the time. And same thing, when you're dealing with those folks, we're talking about wetlands as solutions. We're talking about how can we get wetlands back in a manner that not only don't hurt, the other things we're using, you know, land for in the state, but can be a benefit to those things. And of course, the big storms are on everybody's mind and uh, and they're looking for solutions for that. 
And so we've been working, you know, up there last several years and, and moving some bills through, uh, covering some very important things with total bipartisan support right now. That's great. And some of the great wetland supporters right now are literally on both sides of the aisle. Sure. And so, and that's what we need because if if wetlands get political, you can't run long-term wetland policy on a pendulum, right? And the way no. that works is, you know, this this fo- these folks get in charge and they move things over here. And the other folks get in charge, they undo it and it goes over here. Back and forth, back and forth, doesn't work. So yep. we've got to get everybody together saying, okay, how can we then do this and get wetlands back on the landscape? We've got a bill right now that uh, same thing, uh, AB and SB 222, it, it, it sailed through the, uh, the Senate. It got into the governor's budget and was signed. Uh, and, uh, and now it's through committee in the assembly and it's up for vote next time they meet. And uh, we expect it to, to pass on through. And what that's going to do is create a new program through the Wisconsin Emergency Management Department, which will provide funding for communities to do the types of things that we're talking about, look in their areas, identify what their problems are, and do gather the information they need to understand where the work needs to be done and in what quantities to address the specific issues that they're facing. And so it's really exciting stuff because people are taking a different view of it now. And when you've been out in wetlands and working the landscape, you know, like we have, you know, all these years, you really understand the power of a floodplain wetland or an upper watershed wetland to to provide these services to act as solutions to the water and, and the issues that we're having around our state. So I'm really optimistic right now. And uh, and it also means getting those folks up in the Capitol out of their office, up in their district getting them out in the mud, talking to them about what's going on, understanding what their concerns are, what their um, priorities are up in their districts, and then how wetlands can be a part of the solutions to their priorities. So would this kind of be an example of how it works? Like, let's say um, my community, I live in Milwaukee, you know, and um and maybe Milwaukee being such a metropolitan area isn't the best example, but let's say that there is um, a significant amount of flooding going on during certain parts of the year. And that there's this piece of land over here that's that may have been a wetland before, um, but it's currently just kind of meh. You know, there's a, maybe a building on it that's in disrepair and, you know, there's a thing over here and it's sort of like the low hanging fruit. And uh, it was wetland and it could be wetland again. Would the money then go to sort of restoring that as a wetland or is that too um, is that too simplistic of a. No, that's not too simplistic. That's right. Um, There's two parts of of this new program. There's two parts of it. One is doing the assessment to identify where those opportunities exist. Right. Where can we do this work? And there's a lot of ways of doing that. Uh, A lot of it's computer-based and, and et cetera, but looking at a watershed and understanding where is our water problems occurring and how can we then concentrate wetlands in these areas instead of way over here if we're trying to solve a problem you know, on that end. And, and then the second part to a minor extent is then you know, getting the work done to bring 
the wetlands that are identified back in a way so they can start holding water again. That being said, there's a lot of other funding sources out there for that type of work. When you when you get to the point where you have a plan to say, here's what we want to do and here's why it's important for the flooding in Milwaukee or wherever, um, that stuff is really conducive to funding sources. Communities are able to tap into a lot of different ways to get that done. So right now, a big part of it is helping identify the most cost-effective places to do that work. And in you know the, the Milwaukee River District, I know you had um, Riverkeeper on a couple issues or issues ago. That's happening, right? So there's uh, there's work going on right now identifying those areas in the upper portions of the watershed that that flow down into the Milwaukee River through the city and identifying wetlands and how can we work with folks up there to start putting wetlands back to help grab some of this water so it isn't flushing downstream and causing all the problems. And, you know, when you're working with farmers and, and you're asking them to put a wetland in to solve a problem in Milwaukee, sometimes that's a hard sell, right? So you got you to gotta present it in ways that help them understand why, why it's also important to their operation. Oh, and, yeah. I uh, mean, yeah, a bunch of um, farmers, uh, one of my buddies in particular, uh, uh, just is doing a wetland project of his own because it was messing up. Um, he's in the uh, Hillier um, part of this. Well, well, I I don't understand the full reason why it helped his particular property, but it's significantly helping his property, giving him duck hunting, um, also, um, better for the deer and all that sort of stuff. So he could be happier, uh, with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a very, uh, in my mind, wetlands are, are very like, there it is. And it's immediate impact to you. A lot of times is, is evident. Um, your house isn't getting flooded. Um, your, your, land isn't getting flooded if you're a farmer um as much it's just more managed so it it always seems like a pretty direct impact um but i have a pretty shallow perspective of it yeah and so the perspective, to speak yeah the perspective for many years was well if we do wetlands conservation that's at the sacrifice of other things you all sacrifice a piece of my land for a duck pond or something like that so what we're trying to turn that around and say you don't need to sacrifice. How can we put wetlands on the landscape to not to actually benefit, you know, the issues that you're having? And, you know, in farm country, there's so many good new tools coming out where we can actually literally go out on the landscape and and you can look acre to acre and say, are you making money or losing money, you know, mm. on this piece of land? And there's a lot of pieces on farms, of course. You know, we're we're traditional, we farm the same way, same acreages year in, year out, decade in, decade out. Well, with new studies and new tools, we're able to help refine them. They actually call it precision agriculture even. And uh, and you can say, well, this place over here, you're only getting a crop off every three or four years. You're actually losing money trying to farm this thing. Maybe we can use this area to help you solve your water runoff issues, right? Yeah. And maybe that's a wetland. You know, that's an example of the type of thing where, where it's beneficial. Or if it's a grazing area, I was up at a, at a place uh, last week where, where they're incorporating wetland restoration into the rotational grazing uh, systems. And it's great because not only are they doing all the things, you know, like we were talking about, holding onto that water, 
reducing the gullying that these people are having. Um, but they're also recharging the groundwater in the area, which guess what grows better grass. Mm-hmm. So their production, you know, the, the, the grass production is better. They're able to get, and when you have a situation like that, where you're bringing the water back in the right locations, again, the wildlife habitat is great. You know, these guys where I was visiting, visiting were also duck hunters and uh, he's got his kid out there hunting ducks in areas. And because it's grazed, the cows are going in and actually eating the invasive grasses that want to take over that wetland and actually producing better habitat conditions because he's doing it in an area where he's managing the grazing well. So all this stuff is compatible. And in the past, we've a lot of times thought that they weren't compatible. Yeah, that's, that's great. Is there a program where... Um farmers if they do convert part of their land to wetlands um is there a a subsidy incentive or does would the government pay you to do that i know they do that the feds i believe do that on certain parts of your land if you put it to wildlife uh does that same program exist there's a lot of farmers that um listen to this um, program and maybe they'd be interested. They probably already know of it if it exists, right. but just yeah, there's a lot of different programs, right? And you're the one you're talking about is is kind of an extreme set aside program. It's called uh, uh, Agricultural Conservation Easement Program. It's run through the uh, Federal uh, Natural Resources Conservation Service. And in that situation, you actually put an easement to the government on your land, and then they pay to, you know, restore the wetland there and uh, you manage it on. And with some people, that's a little too restrictive. They don't want that kind of, you know, restriction on their land. So there's a lot of other farm bill programs and we're increasing the amount of state cost share funded programs for wetland work now as well. We have a big project, uh, our organization working with DATCAP, State Department of Agriculture, um, helping increase the toolbox of what can be used from a wetland and what we call a hydrologic restoration standpoint. In other words, how can we fix the water on on our landscapes uh, using traditional cost share funding sources? And honestly, it was surprising when we first started this project, the very few practices that were actually approved through it. So we were increasing the, the number and the availability and the options that landowners have. So there's a lot of resources out there um, to help get working wetlands in working landscapes. And uh, it's it's really fun because uh, getting out and working with those folks, uh, the rural folks in Wisconsin that have been working the land forever, just great, great people. Absolutely. Well, uh, we are running close on time. And uh, so before we go, I just wanted to first ask, is there uh, an important point that we haven't touched on um, that you think would be important to touch on? And then after that, I just want to see how people can get involved. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we've, we've, You've gotten the 101 scratch the surface nickel tour of wetlands today, you know, which yeah. is great. So hopefully, you know, if 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 your audience is listening today and, and they're interested in this, the most important thing I can say is literally get out in the mud, get out there and introduce yourself to wetlands, physically be out 
in there and explore on your own or with some people or, or there's a lot of tours and, and, and things people can, can go on. Of course, look on our website, look on all the materials we have. Um, we have a, a thing we call a coffee break, which is a uh, online presentation every other week where we get a different expert in or, or somebody talking about a wetland issue. You can find information on that on our website. And uh, uh, we have a big science conference that isn't just for scientists, but it's also for, uh, for uh, other folks as well uh, that are interested in wetlands. That'll be up in Green Bay this coming February. We move it around the state every year. So if you're interested in wetlands, get up there and you'll find a lot of other people and uh, get out in the mud get out and explore. Um, we are a membership organization. We exist because we have members uh, helping uh, support the work that we do. So look on our website. There's a ton of information out there about all aspects of wetlands and, uh, and get out and explore that. Contact us if you have questions. We get a lot of questions from, from landowners. I'm running around the state all the time, you know, visiting people's properties just because I like to do it. And, uh, and talking to them uh, with them about their wetlands. Uh, so that's the best thing that we can recommend right now. And uh, don't be don't be afraid of wetlands. Get out in the mud. Yeah, you might sink up to your chest, but uh, you know you'll get out of it. Probably, probably right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll add to that: bring your binoculars because there's some yes. some cool cool birds hanging out in the wetlands. So yep. um, awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, what what website can people go to? So wisconsinwetlands.org gets you to our website and go out there and explore. And you'll see we have a lot of blog posts and a lot of things about a lot of different uh, wetland um, wetland issues. We also have a big program, our, our Wetland Gems program, where we've identified 100 high-quality wetlands throughout the state. Use that guide and get out and find a high-quality wetland nearby, near your area, and, and go immerse yourself in it and learn all you can and talk to your neighbors and, and work together about uh, caring for these beautiful, wonderful, very highly valuable, valuable pieces of our landscape. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining today. That was that was a lot of fun. And, you know, we'll have to, we got the 101. We'll have to have you on again, get the, the 202 or something like that, you know. <laughs> wetlands 2.0 yeah whatever yeah, there you have it well charlie really appreciate your interest in this and the work you're doing uh promoting conservation around wisconsin uh, uh it's, it's really uh heartwarming to all of us so keep up the good work and uh we'll talk with you soon all right well it's the least i can do tracy and make sure you watch out for deer out there okay yeah get my share so all right we'll see you soon see you later Bye-bye. All right, folks, that's it for now. Uh, check out Wisconsin Wetlands. That's at Wisconsin Wetlands on Facebook, at WI Wetlands Associ A-S-S-O-C on Twitter. And <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> I didn't, that's at WI Wetlands A-S-S-O-C. So you got that there. Gotcha. But check out their website, WisconsinWetlands.org. 
And Colleen, where can they follow the Cast? Follow the Cast on all platforms at Cast, And make sure to follow Charlie and the Mantuak Minute at Mantuak Minute at Charlie Barron's on all platforms. If you want to see Charlie on the road, go to CrabsCast.com and click on tour. And also check out our new updated merch website, MantuakMinute.com. Um, our full video podcast is on YouTube, Facebook, and Spotify. And leave us a review only if it's nice. And let us know what you think of the episode. Oh, yeah, folks. Thank you so much. Everybody keep her moving now. Watch for deer and uh, get out. Get out in the wetlands. See what they're all about. It'll be a fun time. Okay. (laughs) Bye bye now. So roll out the barrel and get the band brewing. Life's got you down. Just keep her moving. It's on Wisconsin. The Badgers say it's the old Wisconsin Jubilee. You know, sometimes when you're ice fishing, you put your foot in the walleye hole and go ass over tea kettle and you think you're done. No, you gotta keep her moving. 